Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Beekeeping for Newbies. This is going to be the Bee Buzz Episode 6. Thank you so very much for taking the time to tune in and listen. I do appreciate you, and as always, feel free to reach out, Jeff, at beekeepingfornewbies.com. All right, well, as with all other Bee Buzz episodes, it's a lot of random hodgepodge, kind of whatever questions come up in no particular order type of thing, so uh, we'll kind of jump right in. First off, a one-minute quick stock update if you followed us yesterday. We were in the SPY, the QQQN, Apple. All of those were short positions that were options. So those were put contracts. Uh, the market gap down this morning, kept running, and those turned out to be pretty profitable. I closed out and am flat on all of those. I do still have my bearish credit spreads. These are call spreads that were opened on Monday that will expire at maximum value tomorrow. So that is good. Outside of that, I am flat and waiting to see what happens next. Okay. On to the real stuff. We talk uh, a lot about, you know, queens, mated queens, virgin queens, laying queens, and some of those things that are the you know, characteristics that differentiate them from one another. One thing that, that we've talked about, particularly, I think it was in one of the last episodes yesterday or the day before, is a, a laying queen versus a mated queen. There is just, for whatever reason, you know, when a queen is not actively laying, her body will physically shrink down in size. Even though she's capable of laying eggs, if she's in a cage and she's not, her body is just going to shrink down a little bit. I think with that, it there's a slight diminishing to you know her pheromone that she's putting out, and it's not quite as strong as it is when she's actively laying. One thing that people do to increase the acceptance of those queens, it's kind of a cool little trick. I honestly haven't done it myself but I've seen it done several times and it, it seems to be pretty effective. What you do is get a piece of the number eight hardware cloth. So basically eight squares per inch. And you can take a piece of this. It's going to be roughly about, you know, let's say eight inches long by maybe, you know, six inches wide, uh, kind of, you know, roughly about the same kind of proportions that you, that you would see a frame would be in. You're going to take a frame, ideally a frame that maybe fairly recently, has had some brood that's hatched. So you have empty cells that maybe have been cleaned out. There's maybe going to be a little bit of pollen already on the frame so that you can have feed readily available for the nurse bees. And what you do is you take your eight by six. And again, these aren't hard and fast measurements. You can, you know, it can be nine inches by four, whatever you want to do, but you want this piece of hardware cloth you have to form a cage over the frame. So you're basically going to take the queen. You can put a couple of attendants in there, but they can actually feed her directly through the hardware cloth. But what you're going to do is get the queen inside that. You'll form a little cage, and you'll press the cage over the frame. And what that's going to do is it's going to allow her to start laying eggs inside that enclosed area. That gives an opportunity for her to get back to laying, and it gives an opportunity for the bees inside the colony 
to kind of get used to her. So I think people call this a push-in cage. I think that that's what I've heard it referred to as. But again, you're basically going to make a little, you know, like a rectangle or a square, put her inside of that, close it up to where there's just enough room for her to move around easily. And the, uh, the workers can go ahead and feed her directly through the hardware cloth and she can get to work. After a few days where she's been able to move around and start laying some eggs, then, you know, you can go ahead and open it up and let those nurse bees get to work on caring for the young larvae. So that's one way to kind of increase the, the likelihood of acceptance on a new queen. So I've had a couple of discussions here recently around upscunding. So, well, like, what's the difference between a colony upscunding and a colony swarming? And what circumstances or conditions would normally be present for a colony to abscund? So talking about absconding versus swarming, right? We know swarming is a kind of like a reproductive process. That's how you take one colony, it gets overcrowded, they make another queen, and they split. And then now they have two colonies, one leaves, one stays. Absconding is, and I, and I look at that as kind of being a positive thing. You know, as long as you have a good, healthy colony in there of the right size, it's kind of a positive, natural thing to happen. Absconding is kind of the opposite. It's, it's a bad thing. Because now you're going to be losing the entire colony, and it's usually because there's something wrong. So a couple things that, that could cause that. One of them you know, could be something that would be disease-related. They recognize that there's something physically inside the hive that is too much for them, and they're like, all right, we got to get out of here. As an example, I had, uh, I had hives that, or I've had colonies abscond before when there was wax moth in there, and the wax moth ha- had gotten into the colony, I removed the frames that I thought had all the wax moth on them and came back, you know, a couple of weeks later and I must have missed some. They had kind of taken over and the colony had absconded. Another common scenario would be overheating. This is something that you're probably going to start seeing here fairly soon as we get into the summer and get into, you know, July and August where it's really hot here in the U.S., if the bees are too crowded, you have a big, massive colony with a huge population and, and it's not properly ventilated, it can make them a little bit irritable, agitated. You'll see them bearding, which bearding in and of itself is not a big deal. It's not a huge problem. But when you have a massive amount of bees bearding and it's completely packed on the inside, their stress level goes through the roof and they could very well pack up and leave. So what can we do? to address a couple of those things, right? Well, you know, pest management and all those things, we've already got that on the radar. We're already actively keeping our eyes open for those types of things. Population, though, that's something that is something that can be managed. If you have a big, big population and you you think that, geez, you know, I've really let this hive kind of get out of control, but you've made it through swarm season, you know, it's not likely that they're going to swarm anymore, then uh, that might be an opportunity to say, you know, depending on, again, depending on, Upcoming nectar flow, current nectar flow, you know, whether or not you're supplemental feeding, some of these other things. But that may be a time where you say, hey, this colony is really, really big. Maybe I'll go ahead and split them. Now, I'm personally not a huge fan based on my area of later season splits. I haven't had the best of luck with them. It could just be me because I don't do a lot of them. You know, maybe they would work, work really well for somebody else. But that is one option that you would have would be to split them. But to me, I like to keep those colonies as big as possible and let them manage their own size based on the resources they have. It just seems to work better for me. But what you can do is look at different options around ventilation. So you can do you know, like a screen to bottom board. 
and I've talked about it several times before, some people, for whatever reason, get really religious and bent out of shape about screen bottom boards. You know, they, they say, well, you know, you don't have screen bottom boards in a tree, so you don't need them in your hives. Okay, I, I get that, but I'm not saying that you have to have it, but if it can make things a little bit better, you know, why not, why not use it, right? So there's that. There's, um, you know, I had that video on YouTube that I've put out a long time ago, but it has that vented top piece, you know, with the screens in it. Um, I think that's very helpful. You can take a regular, you know, hive body if you wanted to. You could drill, you know, three quarter, seven eighths, you know, one inch holes in multiple places around it, cover that up with some hardware cloth, and that would provide some, some ventilation during the year. And then you would just want to cover those up in the off season. You could put a block of wood you know, with a little screw and you can just kind of turn it down and then uh, you put the block like in the, or I'm sorry, you put the screw like in the upper, like say upper left corner as an example, and you just turn it down over the hole and in the spring and summer, you twist it back to the other side and opens up the hole and then the air flows through. If you forget to close them back up, they will generally propolize them shut. Now, if you have, you know, 30 of those holes, and I don't know if they're going to get to all of them, but I have had them propolize areas that are just too large, too big of an opening and they'll close it up. So like I mentioned, you know, uh, holes can add some ventilation. Just make sure you put a screen over them with some hardware cloth, the bottom boards. You can also uh, look at your entrances. If you're in an area that has issues with robbing or you have a lot of colonies within a small area and robbing is you know, becoming an issue, you may have to reduce the size of that entrance. Unfortunately, the traditional entrance reducers that are, that are wooden, they kind of give you three options. It's completely closed. There's like the three-quarter inch option, and then they have about a two-and-a-half or three-inch option. Now, those are the ones that you can buy. You can obviously make them however you want. One option that you could go with is just take another piece of that hardware cloth and cut it to length to go across the entire front of the colony and then cut a little couple of slits on each side, maybe two or three inches apart, that you can peel up. And then that way you've got protection on the left, protection on the right, and an opening in the middle that they can come in and out of, and then that way they're getting maximum ventilation and they're still getting some protection. But like I said, ventilation is, is really, really critical. One thing that I have not ever done, but it's crossed my mind a couple times as something that might be fun to play around with, is maybe having like a small fan that I would kind of wrap, you know, in an area that maybe is somewhat protected with, um, you know, some hardware cloth to keep the bees from messing with it and then hook it up to a little small solar panel and then just have, you know, the solar running the fan and the fan is inside kind of circulating the air. I don't know if it would make a big difference. It's just, it's just something that I thought might be fun to play around with someday. Hey everyone, thank you for listening. I hope that you're enjoying the show and are finding the information to be useful and valuable in order to help keep the lights on. We do need to take a quick commercial break. Thank you so very much for hanging in there and I appreciate you. We will be right back. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
All right, everyone, welcome back, and thank you for staying with us today. As always, feel free to reach out if you have any questions or comments. I always enjoy hearing about your experiences, answering questions, and learning more about the challenges you're facing in different parts of the world. So please keep them coming. It's Jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. Now let's get back to the show on the Beekeeping for Newbies radio network. Okay, that's not a real thing, but I'm trying to make it sound more official, so just play along, all right? Thanks a lot. Okay, I got an email yesterday, actually, from Lisa, and she was asking about kind of the best way to handle something she's got coming up. So her daughter, by the way, congratulations to your daughter there, Lisa, but her daughter's having a big party. She's graduating high school this year, and they've got a backyard space. They're going to have a bunch of people over there hanging out and celebrating, and she's concerned about you know the beehive, and people get scared of bees. It's a kind of natural thing to be afraid of what you don't know about. I mean, you can, you know, I mean, anything, you know, you know snakes, spiders, guns, you know, pick, pick a topic. If you don't know about it, it's perfectly normal to, to be afraid of it. So she was kind of looking for some thoughts and ideas around what she can do. Is it, I mean, can we just close the hive up for the day? Is that going to be okay? What I told her was to think about it kind of like a rainy day. If it's pouring down rain for a day or two, the bees aren't going to go anywhere. They're going to stay inside. They're going to keep working and doing their thing. So for them to be closed up for a day is not a big deal. What you do need to be mindful of is the heat and the temperature. They have to be able to ventilate that hive. You know, typically when it gets really, really hot, you know, they can go out, they can bring back water. You know, they use water inside the hive for cooling, for some, you know, bee-made air conditioning. They get, you know, just outside the entrance and they fan to kind of, you know, blow some of the, some of the air uh, around to circulate the air from outside. So you'll see them out there, you know, sometimes if it's really warm, you'll see, you know, a couple dozen bees right there by the entrance and their little wings are flapping and they're fanning. So if they can't get outside, I mean, they're going to have to do it from the inside near the entrance. But again, if you have an entrance reducer and it's really hot summertime, the colony sitting out there in the sun, it could really stress the bees out by having them in that situation and getting warm. So the things that I suggested and that we kind of talked about and I think she even mentioned in her email, like, hey, maybe I should put something over them to give them some shade. I think that's a great idea. In addition to that, I suggested doing what I mentioned a few minutes ago. Take a piece of hardware cloth and just run that across the whole front, you know, a couple of days ahead of time. Cut an entrance in it, maybe an inch and a half or two wide, and then let them do their thing. And they'll come in and out. They got plenty of ventilation. And then the night before the party, you can go ahead and close everything up, put a staple on it on both sides to keep it locked down, and that'll provide them with some ventilation. And like I also mentioned, that that top piece that I did the video on, I mean, those things are great, but you, you can't necessarily throw one together, you know, within a couple of days. But providing ventilation, you could even, if you, if you really, if it was a really hot day, you know, you could even put a fan outside just to kind of blow the air and have it circulating. But honestly, if it's not too crazy hot you got them in the shade you've got things opened up as best you can you know i think they're going to be all right you could also put water on the inside like in a you know in a top feeder or a frame feeder and again that gives them access to that water to help with the cooling okay so let's see here i got another question and this is this one was from seth i had a, a couple of them from him the other day he was asking about, you know, what types of, you know, hardware and living conditions do bees like? And he kind of had a whole list here, like a vertical, horizontal, a single entrance, multiple entrances, small, large, all of that. What I kind of tell people all the time is to look at it, you know, kind of like anything else in nature, right? They have their habitat that they like. And the closer that you can get to emulating what that is in their natural habitat is probably going to be the best thing for them. I've seen people that do these colonies where they're horizontal, 
where it's like you walk up to the colony, you open a big lid, kind of like if you were a kid in school, like many, many years ago, and they had the desks where like the whole top of the desk rolled up and you could put your stuff on the inside or flipped up, I should say. Same kind of thing where you would flip up the front of it on some hinges and then you had all of your frames kind of left to right on one level horizontally. I've seen them before. Obviously, they must work or people wouldn't still be talking about them or using them. I just feel like I've had trouble for many years getting bees to really want to draw up comb on like the first and the 10th frames in a deep. You know, they'll start in the middle, they work their way out, and then they start kind of moving up. And I've had to, like I've told you all the tricks I use, you know, for years here, I basically pull, you know, pull a frame out of the outside, drop it in the middle. It kind of violates that bee space and then that brood chamber. They draw it up really quick, and that's one way to solve that. But bees live in trees. Trees are vertical, right? So if you can do the best you can to emulate that environment, that's where I've had the most success. I mean, I've done deeps, mediums. I've done two-frame nukes, four-frame nukes, five-frame nukes. I've done all kinds of different things. And what I've found that they seem to respond to the best is a narrower colony that is vertical, Now, when it comes to the entrances themselves, you know, single entrance, multiple entrances, you know, a larger opening, smaller opening. When I first started beekeeping, I remember people saying, you know, oh, you should just have the smallest entrance possible that allows them to get in and out. That's all you need to do. You don't need anything and anything more than than allows them to get in and out. And then I started watching some professional beekeepers who were doing this, you know, for many, many years and they leave them completely open. So here is what I do. Overwintering, I leave that smallest, you know, three-quarter to an inch opening. I've, I've actually, I've left it completely open before all winter, and that has not seemed to make a difference either. But generally, I usually leave it at that smallest opening for the winter. And in the spring, once that entrance starts to get crowded when they're coming in and out and you can see pollen the whole outside of the hive is all yellow in that area from the pollen that's left behind as they're coming in then i go ahead and open it up and i go from the smallest to completely gone i don't even have it up there anymore and then i'll leave it like that until we get to the end of the flow then i go back to usually about that two inch wide and the reason i do that is because i want them to have the smallest possible entrance to defend, but yet still allows them to come in and out pretty freely. Now, if it's a smaller colony or a colony that's had any kind of challenges, I'll go down to the smallest entrance because it's not uncommon to see your hornets and some of your other things that kind of like to agitate the bees. But, you know, primarily I, I have issues with some of the hornets that come around. So I will, you know, reduce the entrance size to, to prevent them from coming in and harassing the bees, but also with robbing, you know, when you have a lot of colonies in a smaller space or in one consolidated area, you know, they will tend to kind of pick on the smaller or the weaker ones. So I generally will kind of adjust the size of the entrance accordingly. And again, you can do that with those wooden entrance reducers, but I'm, I'm really starting to become a big fan of making my entrance reducers out of the hardware cloth. Just, I like that extra ventilation and I think it's a really good thing for the summer and you can cut multiple, you know, sized entrances. You might have one side that's cut to say three inches, the other side's cut to an inch and a half. And as activity increases, you see some robbing, you close the, you close both of them down and wait till the robbing ceases and everything settles down. Then just open the smaller one. 
and you're not constantly popping out the wooden entrance reducer, you know, to flip it over and go to the other size. Now, as far as how many entrances you have to the hive, I prefer just one. Now, I do have that kind of top vented piece. By default, it has like about a two and a half inch opening at the top. I used to go ahead and leave it open. So it was, you know, springtime, big flow, everything is busy, and I had bees coming in and out from the top and the bottom. I think the case could be made that, well, there's honey up at the top, brood down at the bottom, so let's leave you know both entrances open, and if they're bringing back nectar that needs to be cured, it can go get stored up at the top, and they can go in the top, and if they want to take some over to feed young brood, they can go in at the bottom. I just don't know that they think of it that way. I, To me, it just hasn't seemed to make a big difference. And I just don't want to add another point of entry for something that could cause problems, whether it be robbing or, or something else that might occur. So I prefer to just do a single entrance. I usually put hardware cloth across those top entrances that came on those, you know, those vented tops. And when I make those for myself, you know, from here on out, I'm not going to put that entrance in there. I'll just, I just like the one at the bottom and that's fine. Now, where I will tell you that I've seen those in use and I think it makes sense. If you're in an area where you have a lot of snow, so you've got your hive on a hive stand, maybe it's, you know, 14, 16, 18 inches off the ground. And then you've got your hive bodies stacked up, you know, and, and maybe you're, you know, three, four hive bodies high and then you have your outer cover, you may end up with two or three feet of snow and the, uh, at the bottom, that entrance could be blocked. So I like the idea of having that top entrance, you know, in the wintertime so that if they needed to get out and do a cleansing flight, if the flight, if there was a, so that if there was a warm day and they wanted to come out and do a cleansing flight, they can go out from the top and they can make that cleansing flight and then come back without having to just kind of, you know, sit back and look at the snow that's blocking the entrance. So that's a scenario where I, I would think that it would be useful to have that second entrance up top. Outside of that, I'm, I'm really not a big fan of them. Okay, so the next thing on my list is feeding. I get a couple of questions fairly regularly with regard to feeding. I would say that there's a few different options that, that I use. Um, most of them really just kind of come down to personal preference and maybe the size of your apiary and your bee yard. I would say the only thing that I really advise against is entrance feeders because you're having, you know, basically with the entrance feeder, it's a small, usually like a little plastic round jar looking. You know, it could be plastic or glass, but usually I see them as plastic jar that, you know, screws into a little platform and then it hooks into the front of the hive. Now, it's super convenient for the beekeeper because you can just walk up, unscrew it, put some more sugar syrup in, screw it back in, and they've got it right there. The problem is any bees or other insects in the area flying by are going to smell that. And now you get into these robbing situations where these other bees are coming over and trying to go into the entrance to feed from this feeder. And now they're already inside. So it's like, oh, while we're here, let's see what other trouble we can cause. So I really discourage entrance feeders. I like the frame feeders. One disadvantage to the frame feeder is you have to take everything off the top to get to wherever your frame feeder is. I usually tend to put them as close to the top as I can. But in general, I'm not using a frame feeder if the flow is on. If there's a nectar flow, I usually don't need it. 
So once those honey supers go on, it's kind of a non-issue. I try to take them out before I put the honey supers on because if for some reason I left it on there, then I put the honey supers on and then we get through a flow and then I were to decide, okay, I want to add some more feed. Well, now the top cover comes off, inner cover comes off, uh, my vented top piece comes off, the medium, the next medium, both the honey supers are off. Now I'm down to a deep, whether it's a single deep or a double deep, most likely the top one would be where I would have my feeder. So I've taken all that stuff off just to get to the feeder. But they're super convenient, especially when you're starting a new colony. If you're doing, let's say, a two-frame or three or four, whatever, you know, a small nuke, you can put one frame of brood with the queen cell and one frame of a frame feeder. Um, I've, and they come in all different sizes. They've got some that are, you know, single frame, two frame. Um, those are great. I like top feeders as well. With the top feeders, they are just as it sounds, right? You go to the very top, you take off the telescoping or the migratory cover, whatever you have up top, take off your inner cover, and right there is your feeder. Makes it really easy to refill. You don't have to take a whole bunch of things apart. A lot of times, I don't even put on protective gear. You know, I'll just go out, open the top, pour in some more sugar syrup, close it all back up, and I go on to the next one. The one thing I would tell you about it with those is, a lot of them, it depends on how they're made. Some of them have like a little floating platform to keep the bees from drowning. Others I've seen have the hardware cloth wrapped around the top where, it, where they are allowed to enter. And then that goes into the sugar syrup. So they crawl along the hardware cloth and they can kind of sip the sugar syrup from the inside. That's very effective. I got those from Man Lake. Very happy with them. The ones that have the little floating ladders are I don't, I don't like them at all because it, no matter what happens, I have hundreds of bees that drown. You're going to lose some bees. I recognize that. I get it. But the numbers that I've lost sometimes with those floating platforms inside the feeder can be really, really high. And I've had a situation before where I've left them in there and I've, you know, gone away for a week or so and come back, and they've not taken any more of the sugar syrup up, and then it almost, like with the dead bees floating in it, it gets rotten and gross. I've had, you know, I've had maggots show up in there before, and it's just, it's pretty funky. I don't, I'm not a big fan of those. So I've seen some people do kind of a neat trick with those before where they take straw, and you, you know, kind of put the straw inside that area, uh, that kind of trough area, and then they fill it up with sugar syrup, and the bees are able to walk up and down the straw. So as the sugar syrup level drops, they can kind of walk further down on the straw, and they're not drowning. So I would recommend doing something like that if you went to that type of a top feeder. But like I said, just find something that works for you and, and go with it. Now, open feeding, I do this a lot, and a lot of commercial and larger beekeepers will do this just because it's, it's a little bit easier than feeding individual colonies particularly at times of year where all of the bees need food, right? I think a lot of times you get to the end of the year and some colonies have everything they need already stored up, so you would feed them individually. But maybe in the spring, you're feeding everybody as an example. But open feeding is something that I would really reserve for, have, you know, if you had a lot of colonies. If you have, you know, three or four, maybe five, use your frame feeders, use your top feeders, keep everything contained within the hive, and it'll be just kind of a better management practice. Now, and I'm not saying that it's a it's bad, but you got to remember if you're open feeding, you're literally feeding everything in the neighborhood. 
You know, like I have a feeder that was in my yard and I left it there and I had just rinsed it out a little bit and flipped it back over and um, my bees aren't even here anymore. And there was a little bit of residual sugar that was left inside that kind of came out and I had, you know, massive amount of bees that were just in the neighborhood. So I came to realize that just how many of the neighbor's bees that I was feeding you know, again, you you don't have no control over who's going to feed from it. And, I, and I've also seen a lot of hornets and things hanging out around those feeders, you know, snatching up workers. So, you know, there's there's some pros and cons. It's definitely a lot easier. I mean, I can, you know, care for 20 or 30 hives, you know, by refilling a five-gallon jug every day with a 25-pound bag of sugar. So that's definitely easier, but it has its drawbacks as well. So one other thing I wanted to mention um, – I've got, I had a couple of emails. This is actually going back a few weeks ago where some people were asking about um, just certain things. I mean, I, I kind of call them like gimmicky things or kind of like any hobby, right? There's a lot of those gimmicky widget kind of things. You know, everybody's always trying to sell something. You know, my recommendation, particularly for new beekeepers, just you know, stick with the basics and use the minimum number of tools and gadgets as possible, right? So your protective gear, smoker, hive tool. I mean, that should really be everything you need to get started. Maybe some smoker fuel, like if you don't have easy access to things. Like I have lots of little small, easily burned debris things that are near my wood pile and near the wood line and stuff. If you don't have that, then maybe you might need some smoker fuel. But outside of that, Keep it basic. Give yourself a year or two to kind of figure out what you need or, or if you are, for example, my first year, I used to use these little hangers that hooked on the side of the hive. And you could pull a frame out, look at it, set the hanger, you know, set it on the hanger. Pull the next one out, look at it, set it on the hanger. And then you could do your inspection. And you had, you know, two frames worth of space opened up, plenty of room to work with. And it was kind of cool. It was neat. And then after doing this long enough, I realized that I don't need the hanger. I would take the first one, which usually didn't have a whole lot of bees on it anyway, take that one, look at, put that down off to the side or stick it in another hive body that I had with me and just stick it in there by itself, then do the full rest of the inspection and then just put the one frame back. But if you like that, if you like that hanger and you want to have a couple of those frames right there, it's definitely better than setting them on the ground and having pine needles and leaves and things get stuck to them and, and all of that. But give yourself some time to kind of figure out what you need versus, you know, you can watch a video and someone's like, here's the top 25 things you need as a beekeeper. And like the brush, a bee brush to me, I know there's people that still advocate for them and still use them. The bee brush to me is, is absolutely worthless. The first time I used one, all that it did was made the bees really angry. And they like they weren't happy about it at all. I just shake the bees off. Like if I have to, if I have a frame of bees I need to get rid of, I take the frame, I give it a good shake into the hive. Most of them go off, and you can kind of blow on them. You just kind of, you just literally just just blow onto them, and they'll move away. And you can just kind of push them off the frame. So I don't use a bee brush, but again, if you love a bee brush, get a bee brush. But it's stuff like that. Like there's all these things that just, I don't know. I mean. Give yourself a little bit of time and, and don't don't buy into all the hype that a lot of these kind of gadgets come up with. The last thing I am going to cover here, I think anyway, I'm looking through the notes, is I had a couple of just generic questions. I think I had made a reference to 
caffeine or something the other day. So for the record, the other day I was pretty amped up. I was not on methamphetamine or cocaine or anything like that. It was just a little bit of coffee and maybe a Red Bull. So I had a little bit too much caffeine that day. Things got a little wild. Mistakes were made. Anyway, uh, somebody hurt a cat, I think, at one point in time. Um, that was Pixie. So, yeah, she's a 10-year-old Calico. Um, she's pretty cool. We get along pretty well. Uh, we play this fun game where she likes to throw up somewhere three or four times a week, and I have to try and find it with my feet when I'm walking around. So that's kind of cool. Do I live near an airport? Yes, I do live near an airport as well as several military bases. Uh, I think somebody had heard some air, some air traffic one day I was doing something. New people kind of when they move to the area, they complain about the jet noise. Um, we usually make sarcastic comments like, you know, hey, freedom isn't free, or that's the sound of freedom, you know, or something like that. Um, I think some people complain that the jet noise disproportionately targets certain communities, but you know, in response to that, they're going to stop all training of fighter pilots effective immediately, so that shouldn't be an issue anymore. Last on the list here, I know that there is a lot of uh, bad weather in different parts of the country, so uh, particularly up in uh, you know Montana and Wyoming, I know Yellowstone Park is closed. I think Glacier National Park had some issues. So to all the people up there, please stay safe, and I hope everything is coming back together all right for you up there. I did watch a fairly large house end up into a large river up there near Yellowstone. So that was pretty crazy. I hope everybody is doing well up there. For the ladies, uh, it's my understanding that in addition to a number of other things like baby formula, gas, other things, feminine uh, hygiene products are in short supply across the country. So you may want to stock up on those ASAP. Um, I heard something this morning too about, about Walmart being out of rice. I searched on the website there's plenty of rice there, but things are definitely getting, you know, a little interesting around supply chain stuff. So I would strongly encourage everyone to pick up a few extra items. The uh, the next time you go to the grocery store, and uh, particularly if you need to feed your bees, I, I like those 25-pound bags of sugar that I get from either Kroger or Walmart. Those are pretty good. Outside of that, I'm going to wrap it up. I hope everybody has a great weekend. Please keep in touch. Don't hesitate to reach out if you have any questions. It's just Jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. And stay safe. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.